0: I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli and I write for the New York Times, The New Yorker and Newsday.
1: I'm Terry Teachout, drama critic of the Wall Street Journal.
2: And I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of the Washington Post. This is episode 20 of 3 on the Isle. A twice monthly podcast from New York about theater in America.
1: Have we really been doing this for a year?
2: <laughs> we we have been we have been schlepping to Eighth Avenue in Manhattan uh, for uh, twelve months. Always yes, we a have.
0: pleasure to go past the uh, Methadone Clinic. It's <laughs> like <laughs> my yeah. highlight.
2: Yeah, it's like a Lanford Wilson play on the streets of New York. <laughs> it is.
0: It is. It's we, great.
2: We are hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group. Well, hi out there, theater fans. Time once again for some bracing talk about current events in the world of drama. On this podcast, the first bracing issue will be that favorite critical punching bag, The Jukebox Musical, and whether or not it was a good thing getting to push the Bob Dylan button on The Jukebox via a new show, Girl from the North Country, based that's the name of a uh, Bill Dylan song that just opened at Off-Broadway's Public Theater.
0: And then we're going to switch to another hot button issue. And, uh, it's actually really linked to girl from the North country. And it's the annual migration of British plays and musicals to American stages. Uh, that's just a little example. There's always been many, many of them and there's more to come
1: and finally as always we'll each tell you about a recent theater adventure we've had by which i mean a play or a musical that we liked or disliked enough to want to tell you all about it
0: and and now we're going to turn to a a topic that critics love to chew on Mm -hmm. chew 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 oh my god it's so much fun uh and that's the jukebox musical
1: is applicable here oh it is
0: it is it so is it so is uh so we, we could spend an entire podcast or or ten <laughs> uh, to come up with the definition of jukebox musicals. Uh, ben Brantley, Jesse Green, and theater editor Scott Heller and I uh, struggle with this in a recent conversation um, in the New York Times. I think it was published in September. And you can find it online. But... Uh, what we're going to use to get us started today is Girl from the North Country, uh, which recently opened at The Public, and it's based on the songbook of Bob Dylan, and very selectively so. I mean, we're going to talk about that. Uh, and it's it's used to embroider Conor McPherson's tale of a boarding house in Depression-era Duluth, Minnesota, which, of course, is the town that Dylan was from. Uh, although the show is takes place before Dylan was even born, which is an interesting little detail, mm. I thought. Uh, so Peter like you have <laughs> you have been vocal about right jukebox musical yeah 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 in a the certain, past
1: a certain deficit of enthusiasm yes, yes. indeed uh, that but,
0: is especially true but this one you liked
2: I didn't like it I adored it I absolutely adored it I his, guess his eyes are all a twinkle yeah well I you know I saw it in London and I liked it a lot uh, I thought it was a beau I thought first of all uh, hearing Bob Dylan's songs without Bob Dylan's voice was a blessing i I never have real oh, I'm oh, sorry oh, oh. people now are Peter. gonna the Dylan fans are going to jump all over me but I never liked his voice I never particularly gravitated towards it Maybe it's my maybe it's because I've been sort of groomed on you know on much uh, more uh, mellif- mellifluous rock voices like James Taylor and Carol King um those were the voices that really you know moved me
1: oh my god you're giving away the game. Oh here. my god. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> just, well, and oh. you know,
2: Joni Mitchell. Oh my God. But that's hey, not rock. Hey, mister, that's well, me up on the jukebox music. Uh, you know, I
0: mean, he's is he rock and roll, Bob Dylan? Is he Okay, we, no, we, but anyway. we can't even define jukebox musical yeah, like yeah. now we have to define rock. <laughs> there there it is. Yeah, like, let's go in, in yeah. one lane, please. Uh
2: and I found the 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 I found it very artful the way Conor McPherson, this, the great playwright who uh, specializes in sort of Irish ghost story plays and stories about the supernatural or some aspect of the supernatural, uh, finding a way to make the songs of Dylan converse with this story rather than propel the story. There's no indication in this piece, I think, that anything that these people are singing uh, pertains directly to the plot. Or, or uh, maybe tangentially a few times. You really have to think hard, and yet this kind of oral, um, this beautiful oral wallpaper, uh, made it seem like something other than a jukebox musical. Right,
1: which kind of brings us to the definition. Usually, when people do a jukebox musical, they're trying to write a musical in which they use non-purpose written songs mm-hmm. in the way that they're used in a conventional musical, which is to drive action or, or sketch character. And it struck me that the way McPherson is using them, it's, it's, it's like Brecht mm. or like company. Oh, that's an interesting idea. You know, or like mm-hmm. company where the, the songs don't necessarily grow out of action or propel it, but they're like a pause in which, a state of mind is, is explicated, described, hinted at, um, and that's not in any way uh, what we think of when we use the term jukebox musical. I mean, the only, the only way it applies here is the songs are not purpose written, but otherwise he's gone at it in a radically different direction.
0: I I, I really think, I I think people are very, I mean, I like the jukebox musical because I like musicals in general, and there's good ones and bad ones. And my definition of the jukebox Musical is very simple. It's just a musical based on songs that were not written to be in a musical. That's And then you can do whatever you want mm. with it. Mm. Uh, and my problem with, I think, a lot of people's problems with jukebox Musical is that when they're good... Or when they like them, they say, "Oh, but it's not a it's not a real jukebox musical." And when it's bad, they're like, "Oh God, it's just another bad jukebox musical." Tell us a
1: conventional well, one that you have really liked, Elizabeth, and as, ba- a ben- as a benchmark. a conventional,
0: you mean a jukebox
1: musical that is well, a benchmark for this.
0: Uh, I would say, well, this one, "Girl from the North Country," for me really.
1: Is yeah, a textbook but I mean,
0: example of how you can do it. But I, I mean, would a say standard
1: issue Broadway jukebox musical, s- but you liked it.
0: That I, that, that I liked or that I admired because it was successful. Like, for instance, I'm not crazy about Mamma Mia, but I think it is really, really well done.
2: I would say, uh, for me, uh, it's when I think of the of a, of a conventional jukebox musical, it means taking a star, a rock star, And making their songs uh, a kind of uh, 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 it's like sort of like rolling out, and then I sang, and then I sang, and then I wrote, and then I it's sort of like a like an e entertainment story. The Jersey Boys, the Jersey Boys, the the new Temptations musical, the Donna Summer, the 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 new Tina Turner musical. I think is going to be that way. That's coming next season.
1: This moment hit me. You know who actually invented this? Irving Berlin (laughs) with with (laughs) with the film musicals that he did, oh, yeah, like Holiday right. and, and Blue Christmas. Skies, yeah, that were pulled out of his back catalog.
2: Right, interesting.
1: Uh, yeah, that, it's not yeah, a it's, new form, you're no, right. Not at all. Right.
2: Uh, for the stage it became, but I think the the point, the different point though, is that it was really trading on a an allegiance that an audience had to the albums of a particular singer-songwriter. And that became the sort of the hook. It was a commercial hook. It wasn't an mm-hmm. artistic hook. Right. And it started, that really started in a big way with Jersey Boys. I think even of Mamma Mia as a slightly different thing. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think it got, I think it hooked a different, group of people than just ABBA fans. Right, right. You know. Definitely. Well, but f- I think that these other shows are all trading on the idea that you groove on. Now, the, the same thing will happen with Girl from the North Country. I think there's a natural Dylan sort of contingent who will well, uh, who love this. And it, in fact, when I was in London and saw it, the, the people all around me were older people from the north of England, actually, all who had, were crazy Dylan fans who were coming down to it's London. It's funny
0: that you're saying that because I have friends who are serious Dylan friends and they will not go see it. They're so afraid that it's going to musical it. theatricalize yeah, right. <laughs> the yeah, songs got they it, love. Right. Whereas I don't particularly care. I mean, that sounds worse than it is, but like, I don't... I'm not a Dylan fan and I loved it because I don't have an emotional attachment to the songs and probably that helped me not. Right.
1: Well, let's back up for a notch. I mean, I have two kinds of problems with jukebox musicals. One is that the ones that I've seen have typically chosen music that I don't like. <laughs> but beyond that, like it, for example, uh, well, I mean, Mamma Mia. I mean, I or or uh, uh, the did Twyla, you like Beautiful? Twilight shows, or you don't like Moving Out? Uh, no, I don't. Or or I, or, or Beautiful. Uh, God, but, there's a lot of them. I,
0: I like um, the Times are Changing. Can I just say that? But what the, I like the Times are Changing. Oh uh, Elizabeth <laughs> the <Twilight laughs> Tharp We'll talk music about
2: this talk.
1: after the right. Oh my, my God! Console. I know, I know it right. Um, but I also have a problem with them, so to speak, as a dramatist, which is that rock songs are not theatrical. Mm-hmm. They tell a story. Mm-hmm. They describe a state of mind. Mm. But they're not written in such a way that they fit naturally into a theatrical That's setting. True. And so typically with shows like this, the songs stop the action mm. and, and the show goes dead. Well, in a way, the genius of Girl from the North Country is it it doesn't even try to play this game. Mm. The songs have not been purposed in such a way as to propel action. They're meant to stop the action. Right. Uh, Other things are happening in the show. And so you don't get stuck in this trap of of making a conventional musical and then trying to get the songs to fit its paradigm.
2: And I would argue, though, that the show wouldn't work without the music. It's not a play in which we stop the show with each of these songs. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure it has the emotional sort of uh, heft. And there's almost a flatness to some of the um, the dramatics that uh, that doesn't allow that that allows, for example, these songs to fill in that Texture that it, it, deeper emotional right, they texture. They lyricize but, right.
0: that, that flatness feels very deliberate too. Right, mm-hmm. really very. But very it bothers much people.
2: It bothers some people. Not us. We're we're. I don't think
0: <laughs> we're, team, t- we're team
2: team team girl. Uh, do you, uh, did you? Um, uh, I'm wondering how deep an emotional. I mean, just to talk about this show in particular, did you? Um, was the emotional connection you made to this show uh, the characters, or was it was it Dylan? I mean, what was it that you sort of, ref? what what was it that sort of hooked you? It's
1: the situations.
2: The situations? It was the, the story time- that
1: was being told. Dylan, Dylan, the songs are used to heighten the emotional impact of the story. But to me, I mean, I, what I was connecting with was the totality of the thing coming off the stage. These people in this situation at this time. And I found it. Well, I, I, I'll I, just be frank. It caused me to weep. I mm. was profoundly moved, especially by the end of the show. Yes, where I found myself thinking of our town. In fact. Absolutely, the mechanics of the show were yes. very our town-like. Yes. Yes. And, uh, Although it doesn't feel derivative of that. I mean, it's just, it's a Connor McPherson show. Right. It's, it's really, very characteristic.
0: It's very weird to me because I actually started like tearing up at the very first song. And <laughs> at that point, we don't know anything about the characters. Right, what is that? That so reflex. So I don't know what it was. I think it's probably, it was responsive to the whole 1934 depression era thing in the context of what we're going through right now, where there are so many people in poverty and it felt like it really hit the vibe really hit me of this kind of sadness that is just
2: and kind th- of. And I thought there was a sort of a, a dignifying of these people, even in the midst of their plights, even in the midst of all their flaws and problems, and the way they were posed on the stage very often in silhouette. Yes. you know, had a great sort of epic it's, feel to me that spoke to like you know. I mean, it's almost like you know when you think of Aaron Copeland writing about it's, it's a very. It's timer. a very
0: aesthetically pleasing show. I thought the uh, the 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 visuals of it are absolutely I mean the composition the way the people are positioned on the stage I mean you could freeze frame like so many moments from that show and it would just look so beautiful. That, I think, is something that directors, I'm going (laughs) to make a call there, but, like, keep in mind on how your show looks, Mm. how you position your bodies on stage. Like, think of it as a painting. As we should mention, Connor McPherson directed the show himself. which is incredible. Now,
1: I know because we talked about this before we we started rolling the tape, that although we all really have strong, positive feelings about the show, we also have... Qualified feelings about it each of us has our doubts about certain aspects of the show and that's interesting that we're, that our takeaway is, is Very powerfully positive But it's not a hundred percent.
2: Well, that's an well, interesting issue but the, and so the question I have for the two of you for Elizabeth and Terry is um how do you take that into account when you're when you're evaluating a show like this for uh, your organization? Do you Do you pull back a little on your sort of misgivings? If you have some, for example, about the dramaturgy, maybe uh, do you do you give it a little more because you you've connected with it so strongly and powerfully? You don't want to dilute the uh, the power of your uh, positive feelings with, uh, you know, what does a critic do in this situation? Uh, Even if we know there are, you know, it's not a perfect show. Do we write up a a review about a perfect show?
0: Well, I mean, I personally, I I did not write about this show, but it's, it's a case that actually happens from time to time when you fall for a show that is not, where you can find things that you can, that you're not like, maybe that don't work, but the the job as the critic is to make the case that what worked for you made up for what didn't work. And you have to explain why and why it touched you. I mean, for this show personally. I have really felt a very deep connection to the plight of these people. And it's weird because some people have written that they felt they were kind of cardboardy Mm -hmm. and flat, which I don't agree with at all. Uh, Right. I
1: found them. I didn't either. I didn't find that either. Well, I'll tell you what I do. I apply is statisticians will get this joke. I (laughs) apply the Mrs. T test. (laughs) Uh, My wife often goes to shows with me, but, and when she's there, she knows what I thought. But when I come home afterwards, I tell her what I saw and how I felt. And then she's the first person who normally reads my copy before I send it to the wall street journal. And she knows that one of the things I want to know is if I came home enthusiastic, is the enthusiasm conveying in the review Mm. is the balance correct? Mm -hmm. Because it's my job as a critic to say, well, I had some doubts about X. I had some doubts about Y, but they don't matter compared to Z and uh, she knows to look for that and sometimes she'll say to me it's not coming through how you felt the enthusiasm that you felt and that's when i try to rebalance the review to make sure that that the enthusiasm is clear and i always i'm very aware of the fact that all of us write for publications where uh it matters what we think Mm -hmm. i mean they're going to use it and if if I liked a show enough to want to think that it's appropriate that my name might be in the advertising, then I try to make sure that there's something that can be lifted out of my review. Interesting. That's clear. I mean, not not blurbissimo. Right. Right. Not, you don't want to you know, be you right. know because they'll put the exclamation points on. That's one right. of their little tricks. But <laughs> nevertheless, something that can be pulled mm-hmm. out that if it's quoted. I'd be willing to stand by it. It's an interesting
2: thing. I mean, you know, I don't think classical music critics <laughs> worry about this, or no. dance critics, or even art critics. I mean, maybe maybe movie critics have that same issue, or TV critics. Different, yeah, I would yeah. Say, yeah. But uh, but um, do you also do you guys think in terms of when a show uh, like Girl from the North Country is starting off Broadway? Clearly, it's testing the waters for how deep the interest is. Do you write with a thought to? Um, P- pushing it does it matter to you if if it's pushed to broadway
1: in certain cases i certainly did in the case of the band's visit mm-hmm. where it was mm. obvious that it had a shot at broadway but it was an unconventional show and therefore it was important that reviewers who thought it was good enough to move say so i can't imagine girl from the north country transferring to broadway because it is too dark mm. i don't think it will interesting work in. i don't think mm. it'll work there mm. Uh, I, I think it's where it ought to be and I think where it, the next place it's going to land is in regionals.
2: You don't think it needs it? it should get an, a chance just a shot? Well, I mean, I couldn't wish, it win the Tony? I wish
1: it would but I mean I'm a, I'm a it, realist about these things.
2: I mean sometimes just winning the Tony will get will will you know will push it to that next level. When, when did see? you
1: last see a downer? I, w- I was about to say when did you last see a downer musical that right. transferred to Broadway but right. then I realized the real question is when did you last see a downer musical?
2: Well it's not a downer to me though this musical. How it's it's. Not a. It's certainly not. Um, it doesn't sort of. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Elizabeth. No,
0: I, I. No, I was just going to say that I didn't feel like he was a downer at all. Yeah, but
1: it ends like Titus Andronicus. You know. I mean, they're cor- They're piling the corpses up.
0: Yeah, but they're not
2: eating them.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's part part two. Part two is when they eat them. The Donut Party Musical. Right. Uh, can't wait for that. Well, one.
1: I didn't think that Fun Home could possibly transfer I mean, to Broadway, it, and I was very pleasantly surprised that that, it did.
0: That to me is the exemplar. Like every time you're like, someone says, "Oh, this could never always like Fun Home," and
2: and look at the but look at the shows that are are, are selling 100 capacity. Come from Away, and which is uplifting, sure. And Dear Evan Hansen. I mean, yes, there those are not. You know, those are not the big, high-stepping, you know, happy, happy, happy shows. In a sense, they're, or they're bands was, visit. They're more in bands visit. I mean, they're they're much more um, complex pieces. Certainly, uh, uh, bands visit is.
0: No, well, I also
1: feel uncomfortable about the idea of moving this show to a big house. Mm, it is one the of right re- place. Yeah, one of the reasons why Fun Home succeeded in its transfer is that it moved to the one Broadway house, Circle in the Square where I think it could have been made to work. And that was what I was thinking from the start. If this show moves, it's got to go to circle because the proportions I, of the house permit a kind of I, intimacy that you just don't have in most of the Broadway houses. And I, I just fear that this show would rattle around a Broadway theater and people wouldn't get it. I,
0: I, I do agree that I think it'll, it's going to have a very healthy life all over America. I mean, that is a show that artistic directors everywhere should look at there's it's it you can use a, a fairly big cast it it's got great parts great songs and it really speaks i think it really speaks to to people right now it really touches a nerve
1: you know cheaper's well, i hope you're right uh, i mean i have a feeling though that this isn't the last time we're going to be uh, huddling around the jukebox here on 3 on the isle so maybe it's It's time to follow up Mm. on what we've been talking about with another issue that that is broached by Girl from the North Country. And that's how often all three of us find ourselves writing about the products of British minds that transfer to American theaters.
2: Yeah. I mean, already this season, it can feel like uh, like Broadway and New York. The theater district in general is a is a cultural suburb of London. Uh, just before all of us saw a girl from the north country What we, would
1: our postal zone be, NY1? Or,
2: yeah, so oh, no, W-O-N-Y <laughs> uh, Just before we saw a girl from the north country We were treated to or subjected to Depending on how you felt That's
1: my point of view Indeed
2: The uh, The NAP Sorry, with my the, I popped my peas on here. I've been told so. The, the, uh, the get nap. that man
1: a sock for his microphone.
2: Thank you. Exactly. The
0: uh, the upper, appropriately titled the nut. <laughs> <Ah-ha>!
2: well, <laughs> well, I saw your face by the way at intermission. I knew how you felt, Elizabeth.
0: Oh, really? Yes. Oh, and we oh can talk about that.
1: But uh, I was but, sitting behind another colleague, and we were both making the wrist slitting. Oh my, oh my God. God! Well,
2: it's a it's a, a farce, Some would say a cheeky farce. From and that in fact is from the north country of England. That's where it originated. Uh, Sheffield, in fact. Uh, just as Girl from the North Country started it, we should say, at the old Vic Theater in London, moved to the West End before this American cast took over. I think actually we didn't even mention the fact that this American right. cast is fabulous. But anyway, uh, The Nap is about a billiards-like game of snooker. And it's it's a, a farce by the guy who wrote One Man, Two Governors uh, created this one. Um it's, it's it's you know, typically British cheeky with the uh, TV commercials that describe it as the Broadway comedy with balls. Uh, the, you know, nobody's har, laughing. horror, Yeah, har. really. This is, there are no, just sad can, faces same, here.
0: Same reaction and as we I, had during the show. And I liked
2: it actually more than you guys, but we'll talk. Um, the Ferryman, a huge London hit by Je- Je- Jez Butterworth, is opening in October as well on Broadway. And there's tons more in the offing. So, so as what I might call uh, our job as gatekeepers here, taste gatekeepers, should we be getting our patriotic backs up more often over this this aval, this tsunami of British theater that we get? Or is this exchange a two-way uh, street that we should be celebrating and encouraging?
1: Well, I don't care where the shows come from. What I don't like is, I've noticed there tends to be every season, one fashionable British import Mm -hmm. to which people are going because it's the British show that they need to see this year. Mm -hmm. I call that with a nod to penis envy. I call that accent envy. (laughs) And uh, I, I really felt in particularly in the case of the nap, which is where everybody is speaking, in foot thick Yorkshire working class, or try
0: to because oof.
1: yeah I well, maybe I'm wrong about this and I certainly didn't say in the review because you don't review the audience, but I heard a lot of the kind of laughter that I suspect is coming from people who are pretending that they understand what they're hearing, <laughs> and, and <laughs> feel that they they're obliged. Terry is at
2: reviewing it. the audience. Well, now. this time
1: this time I was suspicious of it, and that's therefore I suspected accent envy. I didn't think the show was funny. Uh, I understood a fairly large chunk of it, but <laughs> I thought but I thought it transferred because you know it's a, it's the successor show to one man two Governors, and I, I just don't think it's any good. And I don't think it had any business being done on a New York it's, stage. It's very slickly staged, but I, that's not enough to get me on board.
0: so I, I thought I mean, the play is middling, but with a lot of plays like that, I think it can be salvaged by a good director. Who knows his or her way around comedy this one so this is so poorly directed
1: daniel right?
0: so no absolutely no flair i kept thinking oh my god what why would matthew warches have done with this because Mm -hmm. he he really knows and the cast was just not good it's it's i mean i'm not i mean yeah it's it's really it it was just no it wasn't a
1: funny cast well brace yourself people (laughs) God. What, did, what we, did, we, I, did we clean our plate Peter? What, you,
2: you loved it <laughs> As no, tele- I, I used to say I, I liked it more than the two of you did Well
1: that wouldn't have been hard I thought <laughs> between well, the two of us I, we oh arose God. to dislike I, just,
2: I thought there were some very funny performances I thought there were some and they felt okay
0: just, who, who, who did you like because
2: I, I liked um uh, what was her name uh oh. Bush? Wavy Wax, Bush. Waxy, oh Waxy Bush. Alexandra
0: Bush Bush Billings. A bullet Actually, in my head. Alexandra Billings, I, I thought, I thought was, she was great.
1: I thought she was wonderful playing She was a, the only
0: one who got it. She I'll was go even bo-
1: further. I thought she was a babe. Whoa. She is, Whoa. by Whoa. the, she is, she by the way, a transgender person. Just great. She was- Uh, Fantastic.
2: And it was, you know, to understand the I mean, the play is kind of a a British underclass play. I mean, it's making fun somewhat of the north of the north uh, and the kind of people who play snooker, which is a game that Americans probably know nothing about. I thought it resolved itself in a totally uh, uh, predictable way, and it, it sort of, I thought it sort of um, unraveled in the second act. But I thought there were moments of inspiration in that first act. Um, I loved the uh, interplay between uh, uh, the, uh, some of the sort of side characters, especially the sleazy agent. Oh, yeah, he was also good. So okay, so so far I'm I'm winning some points with uh, uh, no no you sing about the two. here's my question: I like
1: the way the climactic snooker games were staged.
2: there were. So I didn't think it was quite the uh, disaster that you guys did. But here's my question: Do you think it's here because it's British? Yes. Yes. You think that's the only reason? Uh, Because it doesn't seem like it would be a snob hit. Who's no, who's I, the audience for it?
0: I have no idea. People, this is and it, it's at the
1: Manhattan Theater Club we should mention, yeah, which well, is a very it. unusual decision it seems to me. Well, okay. Right. Why do shows transfer? I think that's sort of where you're right. coming to. Right. And it doesn't I, there are people. I like to pretend I'm an anglophobe, which is in fact not true, <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> but but uh, you know I don't care where the show comes from. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we're in a crisis because we have a lot of English shows that that play on Broadway. What troubles me, and it's not England's fault, is that. (laughs) Or Britain's fault. Yeah, it's very hard for large cast plays, good or bad. ...to come to Broadway unless they have originated in subsidized houses. Mm-hmm. Yes. And hence, you know, part of why the History Boys was able to come to Broadway... ...it's a huge, expensive show... ...is because it was produced in a subsidized environment. Tom Stoppard's plays... ...and I think Tom Stoppard is, is one of the great playwrights... ...of the second half of the 20th century. Whatever, But whatever you think of him... ...most of his plays are big machines... They would not have been written that way and you couldn't afford to bring them here had the productions not originated in a subsidized environment. Whereas over here, increasingly, all we get in terms of homegrown plays are plays with four characters and one rather simple set. And I, I happen to like small cast, small house plays. But we're being denuded of the theatrical ambition that comes with a big cast and a big set Unless somebody else is paying the tab. That's
0: that's absolutely true. And that somebody else is the, uh, British taxpayer, the British taxpayer, actually. Because, I mean, there have been articles about how much cheaper it is to develop a show in London mm. th- than here. Mm-hmm. Like, And then we end up seeing things like like Wolf Hall, which I talk about slitting my wrist. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh.
1: But it's big. But it's then- ambitious. I mean, it's honorable.
0: But the
2: masterpiece theater.
0: It's, it's yeah. totally that crowd. I mean, I just couldn't wait for it to end. But then there's also shows. I mean, to me, the ones that are interesting, like, oh, or King Charles III. Why did we get that play? That, that play was just like, it pissed me off so much. Oh. That whole thing. It was the
1: masterpiece theater crowd, the I accent, like that crowd. crowd. But
0: then, it's okay oh, theater. Did, oh, my God. Okay. We we've still got to stop love this right you. now.
1: But here's my question. Okay. But, right. Swinging
2: back, Elizabeth, to Yerma. Yeah. Okay oh, best yes. play in New York last year right. in our in mm-hmm. I think our estimator yeah, war- yeah. uh Harry Potter wins the the, the Tony uh, you know, it's not like uh, we, we, you know, it, it, there is a kind of sense of hegemony here, isn't there? Isn't there a sense of artistic sort of dominance
1: going on? No, mm-hmm. I don't think so. O- I mean, only <laughs> in terms of big machine shows. I mean, the Brits aren't invading us with small plays, particularly. We, we manage no. those quite well ourselves. No. I mean, and, and are we sorry that... But are they the, better at the big event plays? Is that what I, we're saying? I, I do
0: think so, because I they don't do think they're better the, at it. They, we just
1: don't have a fair test of it, because well, we can't think, afford to do
0: them. I think they also have a very interesting... Uh, wh- where, I, where I would say they are very, very, very good and probably better than Americans is that a kind of um, audience-friendly show that does not insult your intelligence. For, for instance, I would say that... I would take Matilda, the musical... As a textbook example of a great, let's say, family-friendly show that never talks down to the audience. And I dread what that same story would have been in American hands. Mm. It would have been so sappy, so just so disgusting. (laughs) Like, really, there's no other words. What's interesting to me, and uh, this is from like a French person uh, looking at this, what's interesting to me is when we see here a, a British play taking on what we would think of as, a, as a very American topic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. "Girl from the North Country," is an example. I, th- I thought they did it really well, and another one for me was a show that was that everybody hated and I loved it. And you know what I'm going to say? And it's Enron.
1: Yes, you did I like that. Didn't
0: loved you? Enron. Oh! I know. <laughs> oh,
2: <they're laughs> We're all choking to death here.
0: But but I think the strength, one of the strengths of Enron is that he, it was a spectacle about something that was so American that a new American could have done. Just is the same. Well, way, the same imagination. That, but
2: the interesting thing is when the when when British when European um, uh, writers take on American subjects, they often get them so wrong. There's and it's 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 often so cartoonish or so caricature. Are you, so you going to bring
0: on the Crucible? What? <laughs> are you going to mention the Crucible? Uh, Let me
2: finish my point. <laughs> Ms. Vincentelli, uh, I I think that there's a kind of there's a there is a provincialism that can exist even in the most cosmopolitan of places. And I don't think I think we do much we 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 are much more uh, uh, generous in our treatments of global topics of things that that we don't co- quite consider our own than uh, the Brits are about us. And and and, and that's sometimes you know, and sometimes about themselves. I mean, they've got a very jaundiced eye. I mean, it's sort of a, you know, it's a national trait.
1: Let me give you a, a different perspective from a different angle, the regional angle. Um, we can do big shows, and there are companies that have figured out how to do them. And I'll tell you an example. If a few years ago, I, I was down in Florida uh, at Sarasota, Asolo Repertory Theater, and I saw a revival of the Kauffman and Hart play Once in a Lifetime which nobody does because it takes five sets and 38 actors. <laughs> and yet it is it is their first play. It is historically an important American play, and it's also very funny. Now, how did they do it? They did it two things. Aslo Rep is connected with a conservatory, and so they're able to cast students in the smaller parts. Second, they did a co-production with San Francisco's American Conservatory Theater. They both did the same show with the same director similar sets um these two companies across and they did this huge this talk about big machines once in a lifetime is the kind of big machine that used to be common on broadway in the 30s and they brought it off and it was wonderful and it should have come to broadway Mm. it should have come to broadway Mm. we can do this but it's just so damn hard in this country uh, because of of the cost of production that it's an easier option for us to 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 wave our hands across the the ocean and say oh bring this over instead so we can have a big show on broadway
2: Do you think we still have a little bit of an inferiority complex that we think they they can do it better? You know, I'm thinking of the fact that the Shakespeare Theatre Company uh, just hired to replace Michael Kahn, I mean, to the retiring Michael Kahn, Simon Goodwin, who was an associate, I think, artistic director Mm -hmm. at the National Mm -hmm. in London, Uh, Kwame Arma. Who had run? Who ran Center st- Center Stage in Baltimore for several years? Is obviously was a British playwright and director who's left, and now actually Stephanie Ibarra from the Public is taking over. But I don't can't think of many American artistic directors who get hired to run beside Kevin Spacey. <laughs> well,
0: that was right. That one, well.
2: right? Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> to run theater companies uh, there, I'm not sure. It's a you know, there's no, a respect I, thing that goes back and forth completely evenly. I,
0: I come, to say, I have to say, I've never seen a former colony be so <laughs> subservient to that's its former intre- master and as, as agree, this one. that's a great observation. I, I haven't even I thought have of it that way. I have never seen that. That's right. fascinating. And,
1: although I do not want to quote them by name, I have <laughs> talked to a number of American actors including some quite well-known ones, ones whose names you would recognize instantly, who are quite angry about the fact that we have this inferiority complex in terms of casting. These are people who are classical actors of the highest quality, who think they have to struggle on occasion against the tendency to want to cast British actors. That tendency exists, and I don't approve of it. And, I, and the Brits themselves will tell you that with, from American actors, you often get a kind of vitality and dynamism that that is harder. It, it's not as hard for them to muster now because they've sort of broken down the, the class barriers that, that, that used to interfere with it. But, uh, you know, they were just as thrilled by the advent of Marlon Brando as we were over here. So it's a complicated setting, complicated situation.
2: Do you think... Um Elizabeth do you think we as critics uh, automatically assume at some level if it's coming from there if someone has selected it to bring it here it must be good
0: I I don't think so but I I in I other know, words do, you, do we have
2: like a mindset of like oh okay this well this is worth seeing because it's coming from from I don't, over there I don't think or is, so. is that I think, you know is that a, a overstatement
0: I, I think it's an overstatement but I, I don't think so, but I am definitely puzzled by some of the shows. What you actually that make see on the awesome. stage. Oh, that is nuts. I'm,
1: the audience can't tell that I'm smiling <laughs> oh, God. Because I have the opposite. Interesting. I'm, I'm from Missouri. You've got to show me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I mean, if if I have reason to assume that something good is coming, mm-hmm. okay, fine. But otherwise, I I have to be it has to be proven to me that this show was worth bringing over, and the nap did not pass that test for me. Just to name one of a number of British imports that have failed to pass it. Uh, so, uh, as I say, I'm not really an Anglophobe, but but I'm suspicious of of imports for the sake of importing.
2: It is interesting the things that uh, that work and that you know are or seem over uh, overblown. I am a little nervous about the ferryman, which has gotten absolutely glowing uh, reports I, I from i thought England.
0: jerusalem was so overrated i've uh, never liked a
1: play by Jez butterworth ever 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 okay i'm prepared oh, oh my
0: god he's i, he's, I am
1: i love how a, Act. did you see that i oh, you couldn't that out there i'm absolutely, absolutely is prepared worked to up. like this one i'm always prepared to like anything that opens in front of me but i have never liked any play by Jez butterworth and i don't understand why he's going over here other than accent envy
0: I, I, I always go with an open mind because, for instance, I had never liked anything by Conor McPherson. There you go.
1: So, there you go. I was but surprised I, that you liked this one, because we've talked I, about him on the show before.
0: Oh, I was really, I was not a fan of his plays, but I think uh, this, if he keeps on doing musicals, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. And you
1: don't much like Stoppard either, do you? Or oh am my I misremembering? God, no.
0: do not get me started on Stoppard. <laughs> what a, Jesus Christ, right. <laughs> that is my <laughs> bed Noir.
1: Oh my God. Who, my bed
0: Noir, that's not a Britishism, by the way. <laughs> yes, who <I>, might <laughs> mention
1: because of course, Lincoln Center is bringing in his new play, The Hard Problem, and. Uh, there, you've got a company with a long history with Stoppard. You have a playwright who is widely admired, except on one corner of this round table. And uh, he's you know, my really
0: own hard problem. I just, although weirdly, really I liked uh, travesties. I. You know. So never so there say you go. never. Never say never. Never well, say never. Well, our
1: hard problem at this moment is that the clock is running and it may be time for us to move on to something completely expected, which is <laughs> which is our picks or pans from among recent nights in the orchestra. And Elizabeth, go for it.
0: Okay, I'm going to do a quick, quick positive shout out to a play that is a, a really has a lot of problems, but I really, really enjoyed it. And it's the new Craig Lucas play. Uh, I was most alive. Is it I was most alive, or I was most happy? I was most, most alive, alive with w- you. Okay, let's do um, Yeah, I'd like to to give a that shout playwrights out.
2: Playwrights Horizons, right? Yes,
0: uh, to the new uh, play by Craig Lucas, who actually in recent years has been doing more like books for musicals. It mm. uh, hasn't done that. What that we've seen in New York, mm. um, it's 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 cumbersome. It's it's unwieldy. Unwieldy. It's got like it's got stru- huge structural problems and it really worked for me uh, on a really primal level uh, and it's about like the tensions between hearing and deaf and and there's stuff about but faith and and uh, it's inspired by the book of Job, so he really piles on the, the just the, the mishaps and and just horrible things that happen to this family. And I thought it was really affecting. Mm. Isn't Russell Harvard in that one? Yeah, he's, he's, he's
2: the fantastic cast. deaf actor. He's Absolutely it's, it's, it's ASL at the same time, right? Isn't yes, it? There's
0: a there's a, a sh- quote unquote shadow cast that mm. signs uh, mm, what's going on. It's cool. lovely. And and Lois Smith is in it, and she learned ASL for the show. So I uh, I really, if you're in New York, I, I recommend it. I, I think that's another one that really should be produced all over the U.S. And then there's a Broadway show that I did not care for, uh, even though on paper, it really, I should have. What? And it's Theresa Rebeck's uh, Bernhard Hamlet, uh, which stars Janet McTeer. Oh, a British actress. Yes. But she plays a French one, she so that's here. okay. She lives there. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's she's Maine or something. I think it's lovely. Yeah. Um, it is completely incoherent. <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> Janet McTeer plays Sarah Bernhardt, who herself wants to play Hamlet, inspired by real life. But then it is just a pretext for completely like ham-fisted diatribe for, okay, it just made no sense.
2: Right. I don't know what it's about. And
0: I'll just say one thing. We always complain that there should be more women on Broadway. And I say, yes and there should be more play like this one because this play proves that women can be just as mediocre as men (laughs) and they should get the opportunity to be so. (laughs) We just wanna be out there making a Broadway buck. I am am seriously, I am not joking at all. I am very happy this play there because I've been subjected to so many shitty plays by guys that I now, I'm very happy. Women should have the right to write shitty plays. Absolutely, we want the right to to write shitty plays.
2: That's that's equality. And have them Make produced money. on Broadway.
0: Absolutely. Right. So more power to Teresa Rebeck. <laughs> I'm, I'm completely serious, by the way. I'm not being sarcastic no, or anything. No, I have That's like,
2: great. I've se- I feel like with Teresa Rebeck, I do think she's a good writer. I've seen a yes. couple of plays by her
1: that I've really liked, but I feel like a lot of them are just half-baked. She's like the characters in Glengarry Glen Ross. She can't close yes oh
0: it's so true oh my god
1: yeah yeah because this one off goes
2: what, did you see it yes yeah. oh it really goes off the rails suddenly we're in i mean at the end of the play why we're seeing cyrano de bergerac uh, you this know in play this play reuses about hamlet uses
0: so many lines from I, other plays that it should be like
1: and they're the best two-thirds of that's the
2: i can't imagine what again what audience
1: there is for this well i said in the journal that it's it's the worst of both worlds it's a preachy backstage farce <laughs> um,
0: oh my god yes <laughs>
1: And, mm-hmm. and so I agree with you, and I don't want to pile on right, right, uh, in right. mentioning. So I'll talk about something that I saw that I really liked. Right. Um, we have a Sam Shepard revival coming into Broadway in January, True West. But I, I have noticed in scanning the regionals over the last few years, that Shepard, who is generally regarded as one of the major American playwrights of the post-war era, is just not getting done so much in the regionals, not as much as his reputation merits. And I think this is partly because he, he had a protracted last illness and his last two plays were not very effective, and we forget. So when Shakespeare Theatre of New Jersey announced that it was reviving Shepard's Buried Child, I thought, I'm going to go out there and see what they have to do with it. And it was wonderful. It was just as good a production of that quite tricky, but but very wonderful play as as I have ever seen or could imagine. I mean Shakespeare Theater in New Jersey, which is not a Shakespeare theater, it's a it's a half-year company that does an extremely wide repertory, including Shakespeare, like many festivals. Mm. They're a they're a wonderful company in a small but beautifully proportioned house. And I've never seen a bad show there, Mm. but they really knocked the ball out Mm. of the park with buried child. And they reminded us of what a good and timely play it is. This, this this play about the American dream gone wrong, and if, if you just read about it on paper, you roll your eyes because the symbolism sounds like it's too obvious, too blatant. It's not. It's still, it it's obviously as fresh now as it was back in the '70s, and uh, I'd like to, I'd like to see I'd like to see more shepherds. So I'm very excited that True West is coming back to New York.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to take us even farther afield because I just got back from Erie, Pennsylvania, of all places. And I went to the first stop on an extraordinary tour. I don't know that there's ever been anything quite like this. The public theater is taking the Pulitzer Prize winning play Sweat about a dying Pennsylvania town and the union busting activities that uh, cause racial animus among people who, uh, uh, black and white workers at at this dying plant that's being shipped basically to Mexico. And they're taking it to 18 Rust Belt cities, Erie, Pennsylvania, Ashtabula, Ohio, Hayward, Wisconsin, uh, uh, Akron, Ohio. These are places, uh, Saginaw, Michigan.
1: Places you, mostly with no theatrical activity, am I guessing right? They have,
2: you know, they get tours of, okay. you know, they like, you know, the Erie Erie has a Warner Theater, for God's sakes, where they bring in, you know, like the third, you know, maybe even non-equity tours. I'm not sure. Maybe they're equity tours, small musicals, big musicals. Uh, but um, this, this was, uh, these are being offered free of charge, these performances and I have to tell you, and, and, um, you know, bringing in, they're trying to bring in both a red and blue state kind of crowd. They're trying to mix it up. I saw a performance it was half African-American, half white in the audience, about 125 people in this and not in theaters, in union halls, in food pantries, uh, church, uh, church halls. It's a really interesting idea. And. It was one of the most moving theater experiences I've ever had to watch these people react to this play, not to see how, you know, uh, good the dramaturgy was or whether the performances all were, you know, at uh, you know, uh, were, were, were worth celebrating, which they were, but because it was their life. And the man next to me uh, halfway through uh, hunched over and started weeping. Weeping and people were like consoling him handing him tissues and I didn't understand why he was you know Convulsed and at the end of the play they have a discussion and he said I thought he was gonna talk about this some drug addiction in the piece because this was a facility a social service facility We saw it in He just said I'm from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania And when I was growing up the steel mill was everything and either you either played football or worked in the steel mill And then the steel mill went away and my relatives had to leave and it was either football or dr- selling drugs and he was remembering how his this this community disintegrated
1: it could be like a speech from the play is lynn nottage connected with this tour is she traveling with the show she was
2: she was there the night i was there and she was staying for the first several stops she said she was going to go back because she wanted to see it in the union halls because it's obviously it's set in Reading, pennsylvania it began with sort of this notion of uh, union workers that she interviewed uh, extensively in Reading.
1: and they're going to be seeing a show of real complexity that doesn't just say that there's one side. And, and I'm so struck by that.
2: And, uh, you know, I have to, uh, mia culpa, I didn't get it. Uh, I saw it twice in much more conventional settings. And it didn't strike me that anyone around me was relating to the play in a direct way. It felt abstract. And I have to say context is everything wow. when seeing a show. Because when you see it with people who are living it, who feel it, it doesn't matter if you know, some of it feels a little formulaic or, you know, there's a procedural aspect to the story. It's not that they, they see themselves and that's an, you know, that's extraordinary.
1: You know, I like to tease Oscar Eustace, the, the artistic director of the public theater, which did sweat in New York. I like to tease him for being the quintessential red diaper baby of American <laughs> theater. But I tell you what, there's nobody else in this business who would do something like that. Right. Absolutely. Right. Nobody. And
0: nobody. I I, I, really, I I wish our British friends would bring over some Lynn Nottage plays. I mean, is she probably... Right. Okay, is it's she good don't, should, you know, we should get a guest, like, from London... Or somewhere else, Manchester, and we should talk about them about like what American playwrights they get to see That's over there. Because like what I mean, we all know that American cinema, like Hollywood, dominates the cultural the planet. But how's American drama Lynn, seen abroad? I'm very like curious. Know Lynn told me. To know more
2: Lynn about. told me that um, she got a call from a from Iran from a Farsi translator who was translating Sweat into Farsi, and oh, she wow. said. Why? <laughs> and he said, "You don't understand. It's exactly what's happening here. The Afghani workers are all coming over from the refugees, and they're taking jobs from Iranians. And there's this, you know, this tremendous hostility building. It's our story.
0: Oh my God.
1: Oh, what she a is,
0: she. I mean, what we, a
1: snapshot of the world. Exactly. I
0: encourage our uh, listeners to go back to our uh, podcast with when lynn Nottage was a guest. By the way,
2: yeah." Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's a, I envy you that trip. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky oh, I, I I'm saw Sweat first in Oregon and mm. then uh, twice in New York. But, boy, to see it under those circumstances, I, I'd have paid for that ticket. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, s- sadly, we have to uh, bring this to a close. We could go on for hours. Yes,
1: as always. as and always, have. <laughs> And have, indeed. So it's,
0: it's time to say goodbye. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli.
1: I'm Terry Teachout. And you've been listening to Three on the Isle a podcast from New York about theater in America, hosted by American Theater Magazine. I'm Peter Marks. Our producer is the indefatigable
2: Kirby Pate. You can follow us on Twitter at 3ontheisle, with 3 on the Isle spelled out, and write to us at 3ontheisle, also spelled out, at gmail.com.
1: Please let us know what other topics you'd like to hear about on future episodes, and don't forget to leave a review or a rating on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks for listening. We'll be with you again soon on The Aisle.